We're doing this uh, three-week series because we wanted to stop. I think I told you this leadership team was talking about it. We're doing a series called IRL. We'll be starting up again in two weeks. But we, we, we were wanting to stop and pay attention to Easter. It's a really big deal. That sounds kind of silly to say, right? But it's a really um, huge deal. And the theme we have for this Easter is this idea of revival of our heart's condition, you know. And we talked about how Palm Sunday, which Brother Corey Adolph here preached on Palm Sunday, um, about how, you know, the people's hearts would race as Jesus drew near, that they were excited. This could be the Messiah. This could be the one. And they start to have hope and dreams about that. We talked about last week in Easter, and we kind of backed up to Good Friday because you can't have Easter without Good Friday. Do you know that that's true? Like, there'll be nothing remarkable about Easter were it not for Good Friday. And not only Good Friday, but the silence, the deafening silence that came after Jesus breathed his last. We talked about that, right? Talked about how God left the temple. The temple was torn. That holy of holies, that God had, God had had enough, it seems, and that his people were abandoned. And not just the people following Jesus, but it would seem to be that lots of people had, must have had lots of questions, including the Israelites. What had God done? Or maybe what have we done? And it's only after walking through that series, that, that, that process of darkness and that time of darkness that we get to see the glory of God unfold. And this isn't just a story about Jesus then and Easter, but it certainly is a story about that. But it's a story about our own lives and those dark times that we come out of and we look back and kind of, well, you know, Brittany was saying this morning in testimony that, that you look back and you say, Lord, I would never have had, had chosen it to be that way, but you have made something beautiful out of something terrible. You've made something beautiful out of something tragic. You've become redeemer of your people. And that's what the Easter story becomes about. It becomes about God's great yes in Christ or his great no to the enemy. That's, what, that's both things, ain't it, right? When he says yes to his son, he says no to the enemy. And that's true in our own lives as well. Sometimes we might run around in fear. We're afraid that, the, that, that somehow we're going to lose in this thing, you know. But the Lord says no. We belong to him. We are his forever. Man, that's a huge thing to get through our minds when we live our lives every day that we belong to Jesus forever, that he has claimed us, that the Holy Spirit that we have dwelling in us is a sign that he will not forsake us in our hour of need, that he is with us, he's present in our lives and so we talked about the, how our heart, that heartbeat stops, man, in that dead tone. And then you never expect it to start again, but that's the story of Easter. It starts again, and Jesus walks. And we're going to talk more about that today, how he walks among his people. But I was thinking about this whole idea of heart rate and what, what, it, you know, what, we, uh, what we do. And this, the idea, I don't know if you've ever been on one of those, like, treadmill things. Do anybody go to the gym and work out? Any of you? I'm sorry you do that. I'm so sorry for all of you. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I felt really bad. As so um, I don't know if you, by the way, I'll say this. I'm going to back up a minute and say. <laughs> so there's a friend of mine who's really buff, and we were out having lunch. And I, and I said, you know, you go to gym a lot? And he's like, yeah, I go to gym a lot. I'm like, that's awful. <laughs> like, I'm not trying to be mean, but I can think of few things less exciting to me. And I'm not trying to be mean if you go to the gym, man. Praise God. I know our culture loves it. You know, go to the, you put the mirrors everywhere. You get to watch people work out. You get to watch yourself work out. I'm get my sweat on, you know. But you're standing in a room doing work for no reason. I know you're going to say it's because you're going to get healthy and you're not going to die. I get it. But really, like, I'm just saying, I can't imagine anything hardly more useless than that, spending my time that way. We went down to Guatemala, and we were in the mountains of Guatemala, and these people live on the hillside, and Brittany Anders over here took their, uh, thank you, Dan, took their uh, blood pressure, and they were way healthier than the people in the United States. They don't even own a gym. 
they don't even own a treadmill, <laughs> you know. Anyway, side note. But I'm just saying, like, they're super healthy because they have to hunt and gather on the mountainside. They have to chop firewood to burn for their warmth, you know. And they're super, super healthy, which is crazy, but true. Imagine that. Well, so I was thinking about the times I've been in a treadmill. I don't know if you've ever done that before. I have. This is working. Oh, it's good. Thanks. And so there's this thing called a targeted heart rate. You get familiar with this? And now, I don't know if you're like me, but I have this tendency. So I have a resting heart rate. Apparently, that means that you're still breathing, you know? And um, apparently, it tells you something of your physical condition and where your resting heart rate is. And then you get your age and your weight, I think, and you calculate some math, and it says, this is your target heart rate. You hold on to those steel handles on the machine. Are you all with me? And you walk, or you run, or you elliptical, or you bike, or whatever you're doing, and you watch your targeted heart rate. Now, what the doctors say is your targeted heart rate, there's a beautiful window for fat burning, but you can't get too crazy because you'll lose that. What is that? Like, that's not cardio, is it? I don't know, like fat burning zone, they call it. And so I'm in the gym, and I'm like on this thing, and I'm already thinking, I'm glad to be here. I want to get this done as fast as possible, get all my life. And, and then I got to keep myself like calm while I work out. This is so crazy, isn't it? So invariably, when I get on one of those things, I start to go faster and harder. Because, man, faster and harder is better, right? And you start going. Have you ever worked an elliptical to the point that it starts to shake a little side to side? You know, you're in the crowd, and people are like, what the heck? And they got mirrors so you can watch other people, by the way, so you can see if you're winning. <laughs> I'm just saying. But my heart rate is like, you can see it in my neck. You know what I mean? Like, people are like, he's going to die on this thing. I'm like, oh, I'm going hard. I'm going home. And I'm sweating. And, uh, and this is years ago, by the way, because I don't go to the gym anymore. And they don't want me there anyway. But So I'm just going. But I mean, that was like less than ideal. And you think, well, how hard are you supposed to work to have the best effect on your health? Well, you're working too hard, right? Your heart's going too fast. You're going to kill yourself with this. And that's kind of how I see this third week in the series is that we have the power of the resurrection. We know the reality that Jesus died to forgive our sins and that God said no to the enemy and yes to his son and raised him from the dead. And then we have this moment where we're like, okay, oh, hey, Jesus, now what do we do? Obviously, our, our resting heart rate forever isn't great, but where's that zone, you know? Where's that zone that we should live our lives after Jesus, understanding what he has? I do believe he's after our heart. I do believe that he wants us to pursue him. And so we're going to talk about that today from the word of God. We're going to actually finish this series in the gospel of John, which I'm excited about. So I'm going to ask you to turn, if you brought a Bible, to John chapter 21. And we're going to be covering a few, um, past, a few verses here. And I want to read it, and I want to talk about it a little bit, and we're going to jump around a little and explore some of the text and what the Lord has to say about it. Fundamentally, we want to know what he is saying to us. I'm going to start in verse 15 of chapter 21. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. 
I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death that Peter would, wait, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Pray with me as we get into the word today. Father, um, because you are worthy and beautiful and glorious and all-knowing and all-supreme and excellent, we, we come to you now to, to, pre, to, to know you more, to proclaim your word, and to experience the truth of your gospel. Father, we need you for that. Um, we, we have no wisdom of our own. We need your Holy Spirit's wisdom today. Would you grant that to us in your mercy to your people? Would you indeed call those who maybe think they aren't as though they are? Would you call them into your kingdom today as your word is preached? May we have a deepening understanding of the result in our lives of Easter, of the, of the impact of this faith that we share, that you've given us in your grace and mercy. May we know you more deeply. We need you desperately. Would you show us today through your word? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sure you've heard this passage of Scripture before. And, and this is a beautiful passage because no matter how much you say, I don't get Scripture, like when you read something like that, it's so in your face that Jesus is doing something on purpose here, right? Um, you'll remember there's a, a little bit of a backstory here about what's going on, um, that Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's appeared to the disciples in the closed room. You remember the story, right? It comes right before this in the Gospel of John. You know, he says, peace, and he says, it, the word says he breathed on them and said, receive my spirit. You know, and he, he gave his disciples his spirit in the room. Of course, there was one guy who wasn't there. His name was Thomas, and he's like, I wasn't there. I didn't see it for myself. And then God, in his great mercy, they were all together with Thomas, and Jesus came in the room again while it was sealed and said, here I am, Thomas. Put your hand here. Put your fingers here. Stop doubting and believe. Like, that mercy. And, and then now we come along to this third time. That's interesting. This is going to be a, a, a sermon on threes or whatever. I mean, that there's this third time now that Jesus appears to those who are his disciples. I don't really know how much time has passed. I'm sure some biblical scholar can tell you how much time has passed between the first appearing, the second appearing, now the third appearing. You'll remember that Peter was one who raced to the tomb to see that it was empty, and he was just kind of like, whoa, I don't get what just happened here. But now Jesus finds Peter in a boat fishing with his friends. You'll remember that when Jesus first um, came to Peter, he was in a boat fishing also, right? He said things that are very similar, come follow me, and Peter had followed Jesus. But in this time, and I don't, I don't know what to make of it really exactly, but I want to say a couple things that you see in, in chapter 21, Peter's the one that said, I'm, in verse 3, he said, I'm going out to fish. I'm just going to go fishing. And you wonder, like, Peter, what, what are you doing? And, and what was going on in his life that, you know, because, like, last week was Easter, right? And maybe you had great family gatherings, and you were like, and God was showing big stuff, you know, that, I'm about the Pez thing that went down with the Pez people, where these adults trampled children, and I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm laughing because it's tragic, because that's what our, our culture comes to. And we go very quickly from that to, let's get back to normal life. Let's don't change anything. Jesus died on the cross. He was raised from the dead. The Lord, the, our Father spoke over his son and called him forth. Jesus picked up his life willingly and restored it, you know. And then we go, but let's just get back to business as usual, like Peter, right? So Peter says to the guys, you know what, guys, you do what you want. I'm going fishing. 
and he goes fishing. They join him, for the record, right? And they go out, and you know the story, you know, they recognize, the disciple Jesus loves recognizes Jesus. That's the Lord, and Peter jumps out of the boat because he's a maniac, you know? And in verse 15, this is where we pick up. When they had finished eating, a couple things are kind of crazy. First is that they were fishing for fish, and Jesus was on the bank already with a meal. I'm just saying that was true, right? But he asked, hey, bring some of your fish with you when you come to this meal. This idea, I'm, you know, I'm trying to think of when, when this is all happening, and this idea that, that they were eating this meal is very unique in a way because it, it, it says that they broke the fast. That's what it says. It, it doesn't say they ate supper together. Supper was a known meal and had a specific word, but, but in this, they were breaking the fast. Jesus was going to break a fast. He was going to eat with his disciples. He was going to eat over the fire on the beach with the fish he prepared. And um, I think we see that a lot. You may have heard before, you know, Peter's the guy who said, uh, Lord, I will die with you. They will never take you to the cross. And, and then in the garden of Gethsemane, you remember Peter was when it pulled out the sword and cut off a guy's ear. You'll remember that Peter was the guy who wasn't invited into the courtyard because he wasn't known so the girl had to come and get him, and they had to explain to the girl, hey, this is my friend, the friend of the beloved disciple. And they let Peter in, and she says on the way, hey, aren't you the guy? Aren't you the guy that used to follow Jesus? And he said, no, that wasn't me. You, this is the guy at the, you know, the fire with the rulers, and there, aren't you that guy? And he says, no, that, that wasn't me. And Peter's the guy that the third time says, no, I don't know this guy, Jesus. Just like Jesus had said, Sometimes in this text, it's, you know, people will say, well, what this text is about is the restoration of Peter. As a matter of fact, in your Bible, maybe even says that in a little header thing, restoring Peter as if it's all about Peter. That's fair, you know. Three times he denied Jesus, just like Jesus said. Three times Jesus asked this question, and you just read it to, with me, right, um, to the point that it hurts Peter. But there's something else going on here I want to talk about, the patterns that we see developed in this questioning after Jesus breaks the fast with his disciples. You can see it over and over again. The words are exactly the same. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon, son of John, do you love me? You'll remember that earlier in Jesus' ministry with Peter, we call him Peter, by the way, which means Petros, the rock. Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, this is my rock, and on this rock I'll build my church. From now on, you're no longer Simon, but you're Petros, you're Peter. And I'm wondering as I read this week after Easter, that whenever Jesus comes and finds Peter in the boat fishing again, he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? See, it's really interesting to me that Jesus chooses. As a matter of fact, I read the text, and um, I can only find where the author of the text refers to Simon as Simon Peter, but never Jesus, other than when he confesses Christ. But isn't it remarkable that he calls him Simon, son of John? I think that my, I have my question up here first, yeah. Uh, would you rather be known, should we be known, for what we've always been, rather than what Jesus is calling us to be? Do you see what I'm asking there? Peter had followed Jesus all the days of his earthly ministry. 
He had been his right-hand man. He had seen the transfiguration on the mountain. He had seen Moses and Elijah. I mean, he had just been overwhelmed with God's grace to him and his revelation. And he had seen his risen, risen Savior in the womb, in the to- out of the tomb and in the room. He had received the breath of the Holy Spirit from his Lord and Master. And yet, after all that, and I'm not picking on Peter, but he decides that he would rather maybe go back to who he was before Jesus. Maybe that was just his discipleship, his, uh, we would call it, sanctification process. Simon, son of John, do you love me? How many times in our lives, if we have this moment with Jesus where he changes everything, and we're like, it's never going to be the same, and then that old way calls. You know what I'm saying, right? Like, I know he died to forgive my sins. I know he was raised from the dead. I know his spirit lives in me. And we go back to our lives, and after those high, holy moments, we begin to reorder into what we've always known because it's comfortable. Whether it's good or not, it's comfortable. And we would take a known quantity of our past life over the unknown quantity of a life surrendered to Jesus. Simon, son of John, do you love me? By the way, let's not miss that every time Simon's like, yeah, I love you. And there's a little bit of wordplay happening in the Greek, which I'm not going to get into too much, but I will say that Jesus is saying, do you tr-, the, my translation says, do you truly love me? I'm trying to get to the point that he's saying agape. Do you love me like I love? Do, do you love me like the Father loves? And some translations on Peter's response will say, uh, yeah, I have affection for you, Jesus, brother, right? Interesting, isn't it? And, 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 Two times he asked it that way, and in the third he says, do you have affection for me, Peter? And that's the one that gets, gets Peter. You know that I do. I, I say a lot to set up this kind of idea that Jesus is talking to Peter about who he is and who he's been and who he's going to be. But then when Peter answers and says, yeah, yeah, I love you, I love you, Jesus gives him something to do then every time, doesn't he? He says, well, feed, well, well Peter, uh, Well, Simon, son of John, if you love me, feed my lambs. That's what we see first there, don't we? Then the second time he says, if you love me, shepherd my sheep. Like, that's the new target heart rate, Peter. I don't know why you're fishing. Shepherd my sheep. Third time he says, feed my sheep. I think, well, Jesus could have asked for anything from Peter, and this is what he wants. If you love me, feed those who know me. We're going to jump back into John 10 for a moment, but before we do, I want to say this. I was blown away by this, this answer. The first time that Jesus answers Peter, he says, feed my lambs, because there's only um, 30 times that that appears in Scripture, and only one time in anywhere besides Revelation, and it's right here. I say that because it's interesting to me that when he says, feed my lambs to Peter, that, that in the revealed word of God, that in Revelation, the lamb is Jesus, repeatedly. Without exception, except here, Peter, son of John, do you love me? You know that I love you, Lord. Then feed my lambs. Feed the people that are like, what do you, like little me. Word for uh, Christians was rooted in that same concept. The little Christs. Will we we do that? Well, I want to take a moment and go back, I believe, um, into 
Uh, John chapter 10, you can turn there if you would like, and we're just going to kind of do a quick overview because this is where we get a real rooted idea because I say, well, who are these sheep that Jesus is so worried about and why would he spend time? This is his last encounter with the disciples on the beach and he takes Peter and he says, hey, this is what's important to me. This is what matters to me. And so I want to share this with you. This is from the same gospel, so we're getting the same kind of narrative context, which is important. I'm going to start. I'm going to try to go quickly here, but I'm going to start and walk through this real quickly. So Jesus is talking to the Pharisees here, right? And it says, I'm going to start in verse 1. I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep by the pen, get, sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in another way is a thief and a robber, right? So he's going to start articulating this point. Verse 2. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of what? His sheep. You come in the right way, Right? Verse 3, the watchman then opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he's brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them and the sheep follow him. Why? Because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger because, in fact, they will run away from him. They do not recognize that stranger's voice. These are the people that Jesus is referring to when he's like, feed my sheep. Who? Those that hear the call, those that recognize Christ, those that hear Jesus and are listening for his leadership. Jesus uses figure of speech in verse 6, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, he said this, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. Look at that. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, coming in in some other way, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate Whoever enters through me will be saved or will be safe. You're with Jesus. He will come in and go out. He will find pasture that's grazing. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they might have life, listen, and have it to the fullest. That is being a sheep of Jesus. I am the good shepherd in verse 11. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons them and he runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man who runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I give my life for the sheep. I have other sheep. They're not this pen. I must bring them also. By the way, I want to remind you, he's speaking to the Pharisees here. So he's saying there's another pen full of sheep that will be redeemed by my leading. That's important for those of us who are not, um, uh, who, are, who are Gentiles, to put a point on it. They too will listen to my voice. There's the key. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. The reason that my father loves me is that I laid down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to both lay it down and to take it up. This is the command I received from my Father. And so we, we see now that this, that this realization that Jesus is the one who uh, shepherds his sheep. And so whenever he says to Peter at the end of the Gospel of John, feed my sheep, that's who he's referring to. Would you care for those who hear my voice, who are following my leading? As a matter of fact, one interesting kind of note 
about sheep other than they're really skittish and they don't like strangers and they like those that they come to know and is, is that they're those who are moving forward that's kind of tied up in their name when you're a sheep you're on the move matter of fact you'll remember Jesus said when they're stuck in a rock you go back and you get them because they're not moving any longer see we're called to be after Jesus be pursuing our shepherd he goes before us so, so these are the ones that Jesus calls Peter to, to feed and to shepherd and to feed in this command. What, is that, what does that mean for us? I want to share two more verses with you. One from the Gospel of Mark, one from the Gospel of Matthew. I have them on the screen. Jesus says this in Mark 6. He says, it, the word says this, when Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had what compassion. It means that, that this is what he's always been about. This is what he's always come to do. You remember the scroll in Isaiah he unrolled. It was about what his mission was in the world to come to the least and the hurting. Compassion on them because they were like, what, sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. These were his people that he came to redeem. And in the same way, in the Gospel of Matthew, this is recorded, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had what compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. I shared it with you a few weeks ago, right? I know we just talked about this, that they were harassed and helpless. And then what does it say? That's how sheep are without a shepherd. I say that because I want you to understand that when he says to Peter, feed my lambs and feed my sheep, um, He's, he's, he's getting back to what he's always been about. And, and just so I can put a little bit of a point on this for us in our lives, the danger for us as believers in Jesus, as those who celebrate the resurrection, and I'm just laying this out, is that we could believe we've received and understand that, but never have that gut-level wrench for what drives him, for what compels his spirit among us. That those who are harassed and helpless move the Spirit of God. That the Son calls us into those places. Do you love me, Simon, son of John? You know that I like you, Jesus. Then feed my sheep. Shepherd my sheep. He gives us this litmus test, if you will, for if we're hitting that range. Is our heart synchronized with the heart of Christ? Do we love him? I remember one time I had a conversation with someone who didn't agree with me theologically per se. He didn't understand my new birth in Christ and he'd been around church a long time and he said, I just don't get what the difference is really. What does it matter if you serve Jesus, you serve God, you serve others and you come to believe in Jesus slowly or if you believe in Jesus and then begin to serve others and serve God? What's the difference? And I'm like, well, that's, that's a great question. And then I'm thinking and I'm, this week I'm realizing like it's everything because our life after the resurrection is all a response to the grace and the mercy and the love that we've received. That we were those sheep who were harassed and helpless. That someone dared to come and to look in our eyes and say, God loves you so much that he gave his son for you. That you could be free. That you could worship and know him intimately. That his spirit could live in you. And instead of trying to earn our way into an appreciation of Jesus, it's a realization that he is raised and that we are raised and that we can respond to him. Do you love him? Feed a sheep. Shepherd a sheep. Oh, feed his lambs. The question is asked 
of us like it's asked of Peter, which is the danger. Well, this is about Jesus and Peter, not, a, not about us. Um, the book of John was written by the disciple whom Jesus loved. By the way, he loved them all. But the guy that wrote this is like, he really loved me. And this whole time, Peter's having this conversation with G Jesus. The disciple whom God loved is walking and listening uh, with them. Listening and recording these words. Simon, do you love me? Something perplexing to ask isn't the very first question. Jesus adds one change in that first one. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? More than these. And maybe you're like me and you, and you read that, and I don't have the answer here, right? So I'm going to tell you that right now. Maybe you read that and you're like, he's asking. He's like with his disciples, you know? He's with the guys who are out fishing with Peter, the core leaders of the church. And, and he's like, um, do you love me more than these? And he points around. Or, or maybe there are people who are out still fishing, you know, and they hadn't come in because they didn't know Jesus. And he's like, Peter, do you love me more than these, you know? But we have to look at what the Bible is saying. And the interesting thing to me, that all we know so far is that there's Jesus, the disciples, one boat, some fish, and a fire. By the way, a fish that's abundant. You remember the catch was 153. It almost broke the nets. They hadn't caught anything all night. <laughs> Peter went out. Getting back to the old way of doing business wasn't quite working any longer. And then at the word of Jesus, they catch this ridiculous catch of fish. And the fish are everywhere. And they're eating them. Oh, and what does Jesus say? Peter. No, he doesn't. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? More than fish? You know I love you more than fish. Really? And feed my lambs. See, isn't that interesting? That it's very easy, listen, to say, Lord, you know we love you, but I just got to take care of my stuff. I just got to handle my business. You know what I mean? I just got a few more things to put in order. You know I love you more than these. Mm. The third time that Jesus uh, says this to Peter, he says, the word says this. Th don't miss this. The word says, um, the rock was hurt. Isn't that funny? There's his name. You see, Simon, son of John, do you, do you appreciate me? And with the word, the rock was wounded. The rock was hurt. Because Jesus asked him a third time. I think as we uh, reflect on um, Easter, it's so easy to say that season's over, you know? It's going back to life as normal. We ought to wrestle with the reality of our salvation, the reality of his resurrection, and the implication for our lives. That's our job. Who are the hurting and hopeless around us? Or... Um, who are wandering like a sheep without a shepherd in our lives? And do we dare to say, Lord, you know that we love you, and we're going to feed your sheep. We're going to feed your lambs. We're going to shepherd. It's so easy to distance ourselves from that call. I hope that we don't. Um, I think there's a balance here, right? Your heart shouldn't be resting as if there's nothing to do but wait on the second coming of Jesus. I'm saved, I know my Savior lives, I know he's coming again, and I'm going to hang out.
And I know there's a tendency that I have, I've already confessed to you, to get on that machine and just go crazy and kill ourselves. But where's that spot, man, that God's calling us to? And I don't know what it is for you, but where's that band? Do you know what I mean? Based on where God has you, on your age, on your understanding of the scriptures, on, on your inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that God has given you this targeted, yeah, you don't have to do everything, but you can do something. You don't have to solve all the problems, but you can bring some of the problems, you know? You don't have to have all the answers, but you can bring part of the answer, like that we can all be part of what God is doing in this life. That Easter would matter to us, that the resurrection would matter to us, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear the work he's doing all around us, and that we would begin to stop lying and saying it's someone else's responsibility, it's someone else's fault, it's someone else's job, but to say we are his redeemed people called into his work by the power of his Holy Spirit, and we are equipped and prepared to do what he's called us to do. And that's not a family Bible church thing, that's a church thing, you know what I'm saying? Where's your spot with the Lord? I hope that with me you'll consider that. I hope that you will. And I, and I also pray that if this is not, you know, if there's something deeper that you're like, I don't, I don't think that, I think church is this thing you do once a week, this spot you plug in, you know. It's like going to the gym or doing, you just do it, check, I'm good. I can hang out. That you would investigate that more deeply. Does, does God ask anything else of us? Or is that it? I'm going to ask us to pray together. Now, in a room this size, I know there are people who are here who don't even believe in Jesus at all. I mean, I've shared about the resurrection of Jesus and his death on the cross for you, that you could be free, that the hopes and dreams of your heart that you've had since your birth, that they could be manifest and fulfilled in something, someone. And I'm going to ask that if that's you today, you would just consider if it's the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would ask, is he enough for you? Is he enough for me? Will you pray with me? And if you, if you do know the Lord, would you pray for those who maybe don't here today with me as well? Let's all go together to pray. Uh, Father God, we thank you so much that you are our good shepherd. We thank you so much that you would lay down your life for us to take it up again. What? For us? Father God, would... Would you do a work in our lives and would you help? And Lord, I will say as a sinner that anything of my, my own thinking here that's of me would be stricken, that it only the things of your spirit that compel us in our very gut would move forward in our lives, that we would glorify you, that we would have lives that would be sold out to you and that would find that, that spot where we're called to serve you faithfully, persistently, enduringly until our day, either to be called home to you or to see you face to face in the in the. Uh, uh, your return. Father, would, would, you, would you show us that? Um, would you help us to surrender all the stuff, all, like Peter, you know, would you help us to get rid of all the stinking fish that we don't need? Would you help us to stop relying on ourselves and, and continue to completely rely upon you? Would you call us into a radical obedience of your uh, disciples, of your, those you're saving? Would you do this for your glory and the glory of your name? Would you become more as we become less, Father God? And for those who are here today that your Holy Spirit's been working on, that you drew here and they want, that need to know you, that need to understand that this isn't religion but relationship, that you are with us, that you are in us, I pray that you would, for your glory and for their good, that you would do a work today, that you would call them as your own, a sheep of your own redeeming, 
a shepherd of your flock, a lamb made in your image. Would you do that work today? And as we, as we all pray together, we just pray that your spirit would work in us, that your plans for our lives would trump our own, and that we would be obedient, demonstrating our love for those that you love so much. Would you help us to do that work? We thank you so much for the opportunity we've had to hear from you, to know you, to listen to you, and to grow in you. In Jesus' name, amen.